Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. Your revelation last week that Mike Natashak was the groundskeeper at Camp Yuma <laughs> was amazing because my years at Camp Westmont, the gymnasium was named Mike, Mike Nat- Natashak Gymnasium. Yeah, he was the caretaker. Yeah. We had absolutely no zero idea. idea who Mike Natashak was. He's and caretaker. We've talked about it over the years. No teeth. We've made up ideas in our head of who he might have been. Yeah. But when you said that name, my ears perked up, and I was like, "Oh my God! Why didn't I just ask Tony? He yes. knows these things." Yeah. <laughs> well, Tony's so old. He was there when Mike was a young man. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Freakishly warm here yesterday in Washington, D.C. Oh, my gosh. Almost 80 degrees. Michael, you got the boys to the zoo? Took the boys to the zoo before we were ushered out promptly at 3.30, yes. Uh, You got them on the carousel? Got them on the carousel. Unfortunately, uh, the hammer's carousel uh, was more of a static animal versus uh, walkers. Uh, The the bootster wanted to be on a big cat. Uh, I am so grateful that we live in a city that has access to the zoo, that has access to such great resources like the museums. We went down to the uh, National uh, Natural History Museum oh, earlier this week. That's a great one. Uh, and I'm just amazed to hear the different languages and to see where people are coming from when they're walking through well, your zoo. Is, it gives you a sense of pride. This is the capital of the United States of America. It's a big tourist attraction. Nobody figured it'd be 77 degrees <laughs> in February. Good day to see it's, the cheetahs. It's going to mm. be 25 degrees tomorrow. on Saturday. Yeah. Tomorrow. It's going to be 25. It's a difference of 50 degrees. But it's then I saw nothing but mid to upper 50s for like the next 10 days it is possible that we're gonna escape the winter i mean we've gone through december january and now february without a pile of snow and without a lot of cold and, and, when and we if get we to were March, if we were to get something it would be you know a, a day variety of it yes. yeah it'll melt yes. it'll melt let me read some things here i mentioned the other day i'll do any uh, folk remedy that's possible to help my back and my leg. Now my other leg went bad. The good leg. Oh. My good leg went bad because I was in the pool yesterday. I took the aquatics class, the last. Oh, that's Before right. I walked in the pool, I did the last 20 minutes of the aquatics class. And, you know, you're bouncing up and down. And oh, Is this class centered around the noodle? This is, yeah, there's uh, noodles and dumbbells that you press down underneath the water. But again, I was, I was in the noodle. 300, I counted to 300 kicks by 100 stopped and then and never moved except i drifted left into the side of the pool wall at one point and almost killed myself and i i don't move I'm you like gotta a, strengthen that weak side i'm like a turtle on my back i i anyway so now my leg really hurts my whole body really hurts and the only thing i can come up with is it was the aquatics class which doesn't mean i won't do it again i will well does it hurt or is it sore sore okay yeah. okay that's a different feel but it it you know it's very hard for me to get up and down now. I mean, I am feeling the pain. Uh, from Dave Cook, listening to Tuesday's pod. We don't do a Tuesday a different pod. different show. Yeah, listening to somebody <laughs> else's pod. Or maybe listen, yeah. And hearing you complain about your back and, and lack of acupuncture in the area immediately made me think of my brother. He and his wife are both acupuncture specialists in the Kensington area. I've personally received treatment from him and can attest to his benefits. If you're interested, please look them up and, you know. I have to look them up online. I don't do online. But I would try, again, I would try acupuncture. Would you go to Kensington? Yeah, that's not that far. Right. I'd go to Kensington. It's 10 minutes past Columbia. Yeah, I'd go to Kensington. I'm not going across the Bay Bridge. Right, it's not the Bay Bridge. You know, I'm not going to Gaithersburg either. I'll go to Kensington. Sure. You, you won't know. go to Gaithersburg, but you'll go to Shady Grove, the medical center. 
Well, that's to see Bud. Okay, I'm just, it's I mean, not that's that far. to see my dermatologist. I've, I've got to go there. <laughs> From Ed Butt, beware the Ides of March. No, it's not because I'm going to play vehicle. Only Eugene McManus and maybe Nigel will get that reference. It's because Colorado Littles from the Denver and Boulder area are going to gather, drink and eat, and drink on March 15th at Murphy's Tap House in Louisville, Colorado. It's just north of the McCaslin exit on Highway 36, not 61, in the shopping center at the northwest corner of McCaslin and Dillon Road, and always vital, there is plenty of free parking. Don't worry if you can't get there right at 6. We will drink and eat apps for an hour or so before ordering all littles are welcome. Contact Ed Butt to tell him you're coming. What? You don't have his email or his cell number? He's blocked you on Twitter? <laughs> Just RSVP to mailbag at TonyKornheiserShow.com, and Tony will tell him on the air. In the unlikely event that Nigel doesn't let your email through, you can also just show up. Say let cheese read to the host, and you'll be directed to the table. It's assigned Ed Butt. Please tell Sansi, as a proud Colorado State Ram, he is certainly qualified to attend. This is March 15th. That's in a couple of weeks. Yes. Right? So we did that. Bad day for Caesar. Good day for everyone else. Yeah. Bad day for Caesar. Yeah. Yeah. Beware. Beware. Beware the odds of March. Casca kills Caesar. Right? Ca- uh, Cassius. Cassius, not Casca? I don't think there was a Casca. Cassius. Brutus was the I sort may of... made that up. Yeah. I'll Brutus up. was there. Yeah. Brutus was there. He was the, you know. He didn't help. <laughs> Brutus didn't help. <laughs> not okay? at all. No. Because, because it's the great line at two Brute. Right. You know. You too? Come on. So, you know, Shakespeare is always, when you associate the language of Shakespeare, it is always, as we've said for years, the king's English. It is the most beautiful sounding formal English in the world. At the same time, he was making up the best curse words. Right. He did all of that, too. He's the greatest writer of all time. He's better than people I know that have bestsellers. He's better. But when he's writing about Julius Caesar, these are Italians. And you you sort of wonder, could you do Shakespeare in an Italianate way? You know what I mean? Nobody ever does that. Hmm. I mean, this is Rome. Yeah. Well, it's not London. It's Rome. Well, it's been this sort of thing now that, that British accents now become the voice for anyone in history. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, and I think that's directly because of Shakespeare. Yes. All right. I got to talk to Michael about something. The Honda Classic is on now. Yes. So we assume DG is there. I would guess we that's just down DG, the corner. Yeah, sure. we assume he's walking. Stop by the public to pick, pick up a fresh hollow. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. because it's Shabbat Shalom today, oh. Friday, of course. And we assume that he's at the bear trap and he's watching the tournament. The leaderboard is not august. It is not. Michael, could you explain what has happened in the previous three weeks and what is happening now with this event, long-time event on the PGA Tour? So for many years now, you've had the idea of tournaments that you know, whether it's by venue, whether it's by where it is on the calendar, you know, the two weeks before major when a lot of people want to play, or whether you just it happens to be in someone's backyard and they like to play this event. Now you're, you're starting to see the difference between an elevated event and what you would call a regular tour stop. And I think going forward, the powers that be have to have to decide what that means to be a regular tour stop. So you see, these the people Honda, have been there like the the the, the Honda Class have, have been title sponsors for since the beginning, hundred years, and now they are they are going to be out of this business. Pretty much, hmm. I mean, because pros won't pros just spent three weeks competing for 
a gazoodle of money. Really, like the great, like Phil Mickelson was right. Believe me, people, <laughs> Phil Mickelson torpedoed his career, but Phil Mickelson was right. Had a lot of the money, money. In the couch cushions. They could have, they could have done this a long time ago, and the players ought to be angry at this because now there is all this money because there is also a Saudi tour threat. So Phil was right, but when you go three weeks in a row and if you finish fourth, you make nine hundred eighty thousand dollars. That would be the Justin Thomas effect from the other week. You're not going to want to play in a tournament where if you finish fourth, you make $175,000. Well, at a, and at a certain point, the best part about if these designated events is you're going to see the best players of the players that you know, whatever metric they are using, you're going to see those players a guaranteed number of times because they, they have to be in that field. I think you're allowed one free you know free pass, which Rory used at the first week at the... Uh, the uh, the tournament of champions out in Hawaii, but because of that, you're going to have these runs where Phil you just can't so fill right. you can't fill the field. And if you've been watching the Netflix show, one of the mistakes that they've been making is trying to rely too much on Tiger Woods, too much on the JTs, the 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 Rorys, uh, the Roms. Jordan Spieths, the Roms. I mean, that is a that is a heavy burden for those players. Certainly, uh, so they're they're fun to watch. But you watch how how personable how warm it was to see joel damon you remember him from lifting his shirt off but yes. you just see what it's like to be a middle of the road tour player who's, who is better than we could ever imagine a golf but a of just a great personality you have a chance to highlight those players in this tournament the same way that they're highlighting players that we know from this local area marcus bird uh who is from the apga and i want to see the tour moving in that direction yeah i mean the the long time tournament places Quad City's open. We all make fun of it all the time, but it's been there a long time. That's, you know, it's nobody's that you've ever heard of is going to compete in that other than Matt Kuchar, who competes in everything because he's got to find a way to not stiff the caddies, you know, that he's taking around. Anyway, so that is the Honda Classic. Um, we've not talked about the Alabama situation here, and we've not talked about Alabama basketball for a very specific reason. Because I didn't know much about it. And I still honestly don't know much about it. My position on it, as I've said on PTI for the last couple of days, is these people should not be playing. The people who are involved, who involved is too strong a word. The players on Alabama who are connected to what turned out to be the murder of a young woman. And one of the people charged is a former player at Alabama because he was given the boot once this charge came out, Darius Miles. There are two other players, Jaden Bradley and uh, Brandon Miller, who are connected to this in one way or another. They have not been charged. It does not appear they will be charged. It is said that they are being very cooperative with authorities and telling everything that they know. But I don't know that it's a great look that they're playing. I mean, I wouldn't do it. If I ran Alabama, I would investigate this thoroughly. And Alabama hasn't done that because yesterday when they made their decision to play them, they didn't say we've investigated this thoroughly. They haven't investigated it thoroughly. Because I'm still uneasy about the way that gun got in the hands of Darius Miles. And I think there's more to learn about this. But the cynic in me says that Alabama is the number two basketball team in the country. And so that's why these people are playing. And we'll see. I think Wilbon and I are on the same page on that. I'm not sure. Got a beautiful note from Michael Granberry the other week when we talked with him about. Oh, it. sure, hole in the roof. The he book. said, "As I and I'll read it." I have it's the book old. in front of me. Thank yes, God. and he sent us books and signed them. As I sit here today, Sunday, this is a while back. 
Stunned by the news that the Dallas Mavericks have acquired Kyrie Irving, I feel compelled to put aside my shock and thank you enormously for letting me talk about our book, Hole in the Roof, on Friday's show. It was truly an honor as is having you play the kind, playing the music of artists I've admired for so long and who deserve just the kind of push that a show such as yours can give them. Thank you deeply for that as well. I feel compelled, though, however, to elaborate a bit on something I failed to add when Tony brought up the Astrodome, to which we devote an entire chapter in Hole in the Roof. I feel I should bring it up, lest my co-author, Burke Murchison, the son, Murchison, it's not Murchison, Murchison, the son of Cowboys founder, Clinton Murchison Jr., bashed me over the head with one of those giant foam fingers that Cowboy fans use each and every year to wipe away the gusher of tears from yet another playoff collapse. <laughs> the Astrodome was truly a game changer, one that inspired Clint Jr. to create his own stadium four hours north of Houston. By the way, Texas Stadium changed professional sports, um, had less to do the way Texas Stadium changed professional sports had less to do with aesthetics and everything to do with economics, as in surviving what lay ahead. The reasons are too numerous to mention and would take far too long to read aloud. So, Littles, please consult Hole in the Roof to find out what they are, in particular chapters 7, 8, 9, and 16. In the meantime, Tony, I wanted to share with you how often I run into Littles, even in Flat Earth, Texas, where Kyrie Irving will soon make his home. My appearance on your show has led to a wave of emails inspiring me to share with you a discover I made, discovery I made recently in doing my work as an arts writer in Dallas. No fewer than three people at the Tony Award-winning Dallas Theater Center have shared with me in recent months that they too are littles. One of them, Sam Henderson, whose work as an actor I've admired for years, wrote an essay about the 2021 remake of West Side Story that you read in its entirety on the show. And then not long ago, I called up managing director Jeffrey Woodward for an interview. He began by saying, Michael, I love those artists whose music you've been sending to the Tony Kornheiser show. They're amazing. All of which leads me to state the obvious. Ari Melber can rest assured that he will never be cast in a play at the Dallas Theater Center. Okay. That was nice. Oh, that's great. And, and this from Littles Helping Littles. Um, and this is from, from Chuck and Roxy. Yes. Who are everywhere. Yes. Just everywhere. Omnipresent. Carol listens to this show all... She never listens to this show. She <laughs> listens to Chuck and Roxy all the time. Just a simple Littles Helping Littles moment. When listening to your Friday podcast and your great interview with Michael Granberry about his book, Hole in the Roof, it prompted me to write in to let you know that the Loyal Littles podcast also has a code that you and all the Littles can use. Todd Dickinson, episode 149, <laughs> who owns an independent bookstore in Pennsylvania called Aaron's Books, named after his son came on our podcast to talk all about it and give us a discount for all the littles out there. Just go to Aaron's Books, A-A-A-Ron, A-A-R-O-N-S books.com. Denise? And at checkout, in the comments section, type L-L-Pod, and you will get 15% off your purchase. We don't get anything for it except knowing we're spreading joy and helping other littles save some dough, thanks to Mr. Dickinson's generosity towards this littles community that you've created. Again, that's aaronsbooks.com and type LLPOD. That's Loyal Little's Pod. In the comments section, at checkout for 15% off. As you always say, Tony, use the code. Sincerely, that effing Chuck and Roxy from the Loyal Little's Podcast. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's really wonderful. By yeah. the way, uh, you, you were correct. Publius Servilius Casca was one of the assassins. In fact, struck the first blow. Thank you. Yes. Why would you doubt me? I'm an Englishman. I know. I should not have doubted that. That's all. Don't you think I had to read Shakespeare? <laughs> yes. Don't you think even in high school we had to read Shakespeare? Yes. We had to perform Shakespeare, which is why I know that one of the lines in that is, speak hands for me. <laughs> huh? so, I know this. Yes. We'll take a break. Bob Ryan joins us when we return. 
I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Lacey Young writes us and writes, my name is Lacey Young. I play in a band called Rogue Strings. A friend of mine listens to your show, and the subtext is, I can't be bothered with your show. <laughs> a friend of mine listens to your show all the time and said that you play original music on your show sometimes, sometimes in the sense of every day. He encouraged me to reach out to you, and for those who are in the area of Oregon, we'll be playing at the Black Sheep in Ashland, Oregon, on Friday, March 10th. This is a group called Rogue Strings. This is a song called Never Let You Down. Maybe the people in Rogue Strings will listen to the show now, at we least to hear so. their own music. And it plays in Bob Ryan, the quintessential American sports writer. I found out something the other day. Bob, you will appreciate this more than anybody because you've done these shows so many times in your life. There is no juice for hockey on ESPN's daily shows. There's a daily football show. There's a daily basketball show. There's often a daily baseball show in season, but there's not really a daily hockey show even though ESPN is a partner with the NHL and has a lot of their games. And I I suspect that's because hockey has been, for most of the time, a regional sport in America, in the North, where there's ice and things like that. It's moved down. It's in Sunbelt cities, and it's in the West and stuff like that. But beyond the amount of people who go to the hockey games... I don't know what the audience is. I don't know what their television ratings are. And I suspect, and I sh- I'm sure you would agree with me, Bob, if their television ratings were good, we'd see more hockey, right? Obviously. Um, Tony, you grew up in greater New York. Yeah. You know what they said all those years, that there were 17,000 hockey right. fans That's in right. greater New York, and they all go to the Rangers game. That's right. And that, I, I remember hearing that countless times. Hockey is still number four. And, and, uh, and in the public uh, esteem, the public interest, it doesn't mean that you, uh, and, and then, you know, that's it. It's a simple reality. And, and um, it, what else can I say? Uh, it, well, I wanted just, to ask you about it because I know how much you like hockey. And I found out yesterday, and I feel like a fool because I should have been aware of this. The Bruins are having one of the greatest seasons <laughs> of all time. Of all well, I, time. I, I, I really got interested, you know, in, in going to Boston College. In my very first year, we went to the national finals and, and, and lost 9-2 uh, to two with uh, Tony Esposito in the goal to Michigan Tech. Well, anyway, uh, you know, B.C. is a hockey school. Yeah. has been a hockey school. They've won five national championships. Uh, and then, of course, you live in Boston. No, you cannot be a, con- a functioning sports columnist in Boston and ignore hockey. Yeah. That, that can't be done. And, and uh, I, I have, you know, I did a lot of stuff over the years when, uh, with, with hockey. So, but, yeah, the Bruins are on track to set records for total points and wins. But I caution anybody, and, that, and people who follow the sport already know this, uh, that if you do so, you will be awarded the President's Cup for the regular season it's a, supremacy. It's a detriment. It means squat. It's detriment. When they drop the puck to start the Stanley Cup playoffs. Right. 
So let, but so it's a nice situation. Let me get to this, because you would be able to comment, comment on this better than most. You can get the most points and the most wins. But very recently in the history of hockey, something happened that cheapens the most points and the most wins, and that is the shootout win. Right, well, Bob? Yeah, the shootout. And the Bruins historically have not been very successful in that event, and I cannot tell you exactly what their record is in shootouts this year. Uh, but, uh, but, but that's one thing. And the other thing, uh, uh, not the, but one other factor that uh, is common sense factor is, uh, is that the, a hot, super hot goalie can carry a team a long way, and it doesn't in the playoffs. Uh, we saw that the last time the Bruins won in 2011 with Tim Thomas. And, and, you know, he wasn't ever considered an, the elite, an elite right. goalie. He was considered to be a good goalie. But he was a off-the-charts, all-time, you know, standard, stop the, with standing on your head goalie, as they say. So anyway, they, if one of them emerges in the, from a decent team in the playoffs, they're going to be a problem. So this is the larger question <clears throat> that I tried to deal with yesterday, which is whether these records mean anything. In the middle of the season... Nobody cares about these records. They don't even know what these records are. Nobody in America knew what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's total points record was, including Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, until LeBron got close. And, but let's look back. If you lose the Stanley Cup and you have these records, is there a point in time where you have a soft spot for these records or do you always not care because you didn't win the Cup? Well, you're sticking. I'm, I may be at variance with the norm, with with the majority here. I, I have always uh, felt that the regular seasons in all sports is under undervalued mm-hmm. uh, by the public, and it and, and it's being devalued constantly by the the modern quote unquote media. And and I, I think this is a, a bad thing. I used to say my most impressive thing about the Celtics in the Russell era when they won those eleven out of thirteen championships was that year after year they won the regular season. They they came to play. I won't guarantee all, first it was 70, then 72, or then 82 nights, but they came to play in a very, very high percentage of them. It mattered. They were just, hey, we're playing, we should play. And they want to win, we want, and that's it. And, and uh, I, I think there was a, a t- tremendous, when they kept winning year after year, the regular season, uh, I thought that was tremendous. And, uh, you know, uh, we, but it's just the whole um, emphasis now is, is, is rings and titles and, uh, you know, it's like, like you know, when the Patriots went 17-0, and 0, you know, it, 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 it's almost like they should be embarrassed because they didn't get the job done and, and, and against the Giants. No, but uh, it, but I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm the, the uh, contrarian here. I, I think the regular season should be uh, well, applauded. This leads me to something. The Golden State Warriors won 73 games. They were 73-9. and nine. It's the greatest record of all time. They did not win the NBA title that year. But my feeling is that Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson should have a soft spot in their hearts for the year when they won 73, made easier, Bobby, by the fact that they won titles before and after mm-hmm. that. So if the Bruins were to lose this but win the Cup, say, next year, they could look back on their records with a warmer feeling. What do you think? 
That's an interesting theory, and I'm not going to dispute it. I think you, you could very well be right uh, uh, about that. The Warriors say, well, yeah, we did win You know, the other ones. Uh, it would have been nice if we could have won. They, they have very little to apologize for. Don't get me started on how they lost that last game That's right. by, by uh, cranking threes when all they needed was a two to stop the bleeding. And, and, and uh, you know, they oh, don't get me started, please, on that. But anyway, uh, uh, that's, a good, that's a good premise. Uh, and then now in the Bruins' case here, uh, they have a bitter memory of a, of a what we all thought was a shocking loss to St. Louis in 2019 yeah. when they just were the better team. And some re- odd reason, they, they just didn't play that night. That did not play. And, uh, and, and you know, that, that they kicked one away. They should, and, 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 and just, you know, a couple of the core players are back, and I'm sure it's going to be a topic when uh, Stanley Cup playoffs start. I need to ask you this because I'm probably wrong. I'm sure in Boston this has been written a million times. I don't know that nationally it has been written a million times. The great unknown story in the NBA this year is Joe Mazzulla. Mm-hmm. Like you could nobody, Bobby, you know that team well. Could yep. anybody have thought that they would get away from Ime Udoka, which was volcanic, and not only not be destroyed by that, but be better with this guy? No. Uh, and we were wondering from the beginning why Joe Mazzulla, since, you, as you know, the hierarchy of assistant coaches in the NBA is that there's a first, those get the seat in the first row next to the coach, and those who sit in the chairs in the second row behind the coach. And Joe was a second row guy. Yeah. Now, one of the other guys was Will Hardy, uh, who got the job in Utah, and uh, a fellow assistant. And I think Joe did as an interview. Just, but uh, it turned, you know. They, but I know Dan. I know Danny before he left was a big proponent of, of Joe Missoula, and I thought it was interesting. And you know that in the immediate aftermath of, of his uh, the announcement that it was going to be Joe Missoula, the first person who went public with a huge endorsement was Jason Tatum. Okay. And I thought, oh, well, this is good if your best player is, is on yeah. your sideline, and you know that's really important in this league. So, um, yeah, and they, we didn't see this, but, but he's been on a track. Especially you look at the resume. I, should say, I was going to about to say something that would be challenged. That he's been on a coaching track and on upward. He, the only other head coaching D2. thing he had done was at Fairmont State, yeah. and, and he also in the summer league one year. You know, I mean, he's 34, uh, but obviously he's got qualities. He's, got, he's a quiet guy he's, he's introspective he never smiles jeez you know and uh he's a serious person uh and and he's obviously studied this whole thing and uh, uh but i didn't expect this level of success i thought no. losing emi was going to be a, a, a serious problem I, me too uh, so good for this guy i mean you nobody ever gives coach of the year to the guy with the best record but maybe this guy is <laughs> maybe this guy is the coach of the year this year let me get to some other thing on the shows we talk about rule changes all the time we talk about what's going on in baseball now. Every year, every week, the NHL makes a rule change. Football makes rule changes all the time. My position is there has never been a rule change as impactful, and whether you think positive or negative, never a rule change in sports, even the 24-second clock, as impactful as a three-point shot in basketball. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, it, has revel- it has completely transformed the game. And 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 the, the fallout is enormous. Uh, I think you yes. I would I would say that. And uh, uh, it, it's and here's the thing that drives me crazy. People have to understand the three point shot is the product of an, an invented mind, inventive mind of a promoter. 
It is Abe Saperstein who introduced the three-point shot to the ABL, the league he founded in 1961 uh, in competition with the NBA, and which did produce a couple of guys who later went on to be in the prominent NBA players. And it folded in a year and a half. But for then the Eastern League, which was left as the second most important basketball league in the world, when, in a league when the NBA had 10 or 12 players on the roster and, and, and eight, nine teams. Uh, so there were plenty of good players out there, and, and, and they went to the Eastern League. They picked it up. I was introduced to it in Trenton, New Jersey, my hometown, Trenton Colonials, uh, and I went to lots of, of their games. And, and yes, they show, and I used to kid George Blaney, uh, who played. I remember in the George Blaney, that, Holy Cross. Yeah, he was the first guy I ever saw pull up for a three on a three on zero fast break. Ooh. Well, I used to kid him about that. Well, that's in the days when, he, you know, well, those days are gone. Of course you pull up now. So, um, anyway, yes, it's, it's transformed the game. Uh, it is the game. Uh, it has it, it eliminated uh, the, the role of the post player. Uh, it, 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 it is, uh, uh, you know, but it's, the, it's a mindset that uh, did not exist in the old days. And the thing is that, you know, it, it, it's permeated every level. I say it has distorted the game at every level. And... Whether you see a nine and ten and eleven and twelve year old kids trying to shoot threes, and and you know, but you, they're bred to do it. And now you know some of these guys are, are, are tremendous. Uh, they've been doing it now literally their whole basketball lives. This thing has been in, in effect since 1979. So so we've got two generations or more that uh, that's all they know. I I would outlaw it, um, but I'm just old. You know, I think that. The basketball that I saw as a younger person involved five people needing more skills than are necessary now. Now the only skill you need is to be able to shoot from 24 feet. You well, and, you know, and everybody's salivating over Victor Wimbiana, who's 7-4 in France and is a three-point shooter, uh, for sure. Nobody's salivating over poor Zach Eady at Purdue, who, yeah. who knows exactly what he's doing as an old-fashioned big man, Al McGuire, uh, aircraft, aircraft carrier center, yeah. but it's being projected as a second-round draft pick. You know, it, it's it that drives me crazy. But you know, I understand the game. You know, he, he's going to he would have trouble perimeter guarding on a pick and roll. Well, I, I like to think well they'd have trouble guarding him. He knows what he's doing down there at seven four. And um, anyway, it, but it's you know it's it's really a, a, a an annoying thing to me. Uh, but I, I know I've lost the battle. You know that. I'll tell you, Tony, you'll see the four before we die. Yeah, I guess. I guess, and it would be like 32 feet or something like that. So, you know, I, I'm afraid of that. But it has, it, it, it's not as good a game. No, it's, it's, just, it's not. It, it's some, some, some nights, they, oh, they never stop shooting it. So whether they're having a hot night or not, they're still, they're still cranking up the threes, and, you know, hope, hope, hoping it's going to go in. But I, I, I just uh, – but you can't explain the game – to the youngins uh, without it, and, and, and they have distorted you know, views of what the old game was. This makes me. me happy. This is a haven for old people, this show, <laughs> and that makes me happy. Thank you, Bobby. Okay, Tom. Bye. Bob Ryan, boys and girls, the quintessential American sports writer. We will take a break. Uh, when we come back, Joe Lenardi, and we're going to ask Joe Lenardi about, like, I don't care about the top 20 Allen Jingles. No. Let's ask about small conferences and stuff like the that. The Ivy Tournament? Hmm? Ivy Tournament? The Ivy Tournament will certainly ask about. America East? America East is Vermont. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, 
five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, there's a rogue strings. This sounds like the Everly Brothers, doesn't it? A little bit, doesn't it? These are rogue strings. And if you're in the Oregon area, they're playing at the Black Sheep in Ashland, Oregon, on Friday, May the 10th. This is called Life Goes On. Michael, who scolded me in the break. I feel bad about this. Uh, Michael, if people like Rogue Strings want to send us their original music, even when their friends listen to the show, not them, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. I just wanted to share with you how your grandson, your youngest grandson, uttered his first words the last couple days. The captain? Yeah, he talked? Yeah, he he talked. What did he say? What was his first word? uh, So the the bet was for Dada, because that's what the other two have done first, but we got a mama when all of us were paying attention to the two older boys at dinner. Mama! Mama, and we might have had a Dada yesterday. Is he walking yet? Uh, he is, he's not walking yet. Okay. Has he said expired yet? Expired. <laughs> and Joe, <laughs> so here. The ants are coming, though. All right. Joe Lenardi joins us now. And, and everybody knows Joe Lenardi from Bracketology. And we're going to get to that. We're going to find out how many schools have to be found in violation of the NCAA before Binghamton makes the tournament. That's <laughs> pretty much the number one question. But the most important thing <laughs> for people to know is Joe Lenardi frequents a bagel shop in the Atlantic City area next to Spatafores. What is the name of the bagel shop? New York Bagel, ironically, in Ocean City, New Jersey. Right. New York Bagel. And you also go, you take takeout from Spatafores as well? Oh, my goodness, yes. It's a, a local institution. You know, these, these you know, Beach towns and summer places, they, 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 they have kind of their must-go local eateries. Yeah. And, uh, definitely on the list. So do you have a place in Ocean City? We do. We do. And ironically, it became, I guess we can say this now, normally it's an undisclosed location, it became the site of the Bracket Bunker during the pandemic uh, when we couldn't go to games or, or, or travel or, or come to Bristol. I know how that works because <laughs> I sit in my house and do the show for three years now. So I know how that works. So when, when you did it, it was great, right? I mean, when you did it from your house, you must have loved it. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I used to joke that uh, I could do bracketology from Mars as long as the internet was good enough. Right. And that I never would have to actually go to a basketball game, never realizing that COVID would come and we would actually prove that to be correct. Uh, and, and, and then in, you know, in, in, in 2021, that season, the 2021 season, um, you know, it's just obviously for everyone. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that with all the horror and tragedy in the world that, you know, bracketology needed to be at the top of anybody's worry list. Uh, but I did get pretty comfortable. And, and, yeah. and our man Steve-O at New York Bagel is, is open year-round. 
So I had my coffee and, you know, my little morning jaunt there. And, and, and that was the uh, fuel of racketology for a year. What is Joe Lenardi's favorite bagel? They make a French toast bagel. Really? Which is really quite something. But like most days, I'm, I'm like a, a plain or an egg bagel guy. I'm not like all those extra, you know, nutty, poppy, fruity things. I don't, I don't, I don't need that at 7.30 in the morning after a late West Coast game. <laughs> Just wonderful to see to see you. Are you recognized a lot in Ocean City? Not at the bagel shop. You're not uh, really. You know, if I walk into an arena, and I, I guess that's a little bit of an understatement. Like, if it's now, if it's late February, early March, when you know I I can't look up at the screen one time and not see a graphic that says. You know, according to right, right, Joe right. Nunez, our, our oldest. I remember she, she was in college, and one year she called me and she said, "Dad, they changed your name again. Uh, your first name's now according to." <laughs> and and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> I'm paying tuition for this." And uh, God love him. So Jaws is down there. Jaws has a house in Stone Harbor. Do you ever run into Jaws? I don't run into Jaws. I do run into Jay Wright who's about yeah. 20 blocks away. Uh, let's just say that his place is a little closer to the beach. Well, Maybe I, than ours. I would imagine <laughs> after two championships, there's a lot of money involved uh, in that. Yeah, four Final Fours, Hall of Fame band. You know, I guess I guess I got to go 68 for 68 a few years in a row to get a block closer to the water. Yeah, you know, um, who, who's uh, Mike Bray? Mike Bray was equidistant from the water in Rehoboth as I was. He was, you know, you know, he wasn't right down on the water. But Mike Bray isn't Jay Wright. He didn't win twice. Right? He didn't do that. You know. But they're equally good guys. Yes, lovely people. Absolutely. Jay Wright and Mike Bray are wonderful, absolutely wonderful people. All right. And I have had, Go ahead. you know, the good four, you know, I do a lot of work with uh, coaches versus cancer and, and those guys and, of course, the, the champions in Philly, Fran Dunphy and Phil Martelli. Uh, I've just got to meet, you know, so many of these people away from the arena, and and, and it's 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 a nice a nice side uh, bonus of, of of all these years. All right, so let's get to a couple of basketball questions that are important to me. One is Northwestern. Is there any way they can choke it away and not get invited to the tournament, making Wilbon's greatest fear come true? <laughs> No, but they sure did choke away a game last night. Did they choke away the Illinois game last night? Yeah. Illinois, they were up 18 and lost in the last minute. It was one of those, I mean, Tony, you've seen enough college basketball to know, like you can tell when, when the pendulum swings in a game and like, even when they were up eight or six, as it was, the lead was shrinking. You could just see that the car was about to hit the retaining wall, <laughs> and, uh, and and there wasn't anything that Northwestern could could do about it. It doesn't dramatically impact their tournament profile. I mean, they've like if they didn't make another basket the rest of the season, they, they've had an extraordinary yeah. year. Um, but they are going to make some more baskets. 
Yeah, and I mean, I tell Wilbon all the time, stop fretting about this. You beat the number one team, and then you beat the only other ranked team in the conference at that point, and you beat them twice. They're not holding this tournament without you. Uh, let us move to the Ivy League, because my son is sitting here as a proud Penn graduate. Um, who The Ivy League's always a one-bid league, which I'm not sure I believe in. I think years there have been a lot of years where they should have been a two-bid league. But who does Penn have a chance this year? Where's Penn? Uh, well, now there's an Ivy League tournament. Right, which I don't like. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, because we're old school, That's right? That's right. And, and, and the abbreviation of old school is just old. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I get it. I was raised kind of my sporting youth at the palestra, if you will. And uh, I did the Penn-Yale game a, w- a week ago, and I got to see Penn. You know, I see Penn a fair amount being in and around Philly, uh, they're, they've clinched a spot in, in the top four, which puts them in the Ivy League tournament. It's going to be Princeton, uh, Yale, Penn, and un, still undetermined. And they're going to play two days at Jadwin. It's at Princeton this year. And, uh, you know, so I'd say they have one chance in four. Those, at least those top three teams I mentioned are, are fairly – even I think Yale maybe has a little bit more experience, and and and, and they've been to the tournament more recently. Uh, but you know, it's 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 anybody's anybody's game, really. That's fine. What about well? Let's talk about some one bid leagues. Like, and I'm not just going to talk about the America East because Vermont is always the class of the America East. But are there oh, schools? Are there schools out there? that you look at in one-bid leagues and you say, you know, they're pretty good. They really should be in the tournament even if they lose their conference tournaments. Is there anybody like that? There, there are. And, and you know, let's, let's be careful to distinguish between should and will. Right, right. Right, because, you know, what the committee might see as the most important criteria and what you or I or certainly fans of those school C as the most important criteria are different. And, you know, last time I checked, I don't have a vote. Right. So, uh, important to note that. But schools like Oral Roberts, two years ago, they were a 15, beat the two Ohio State, and made the Sweet 16. Their star from that team, Max Asmus, is still there. Uh and they might be better than they were that year. Uh, so they're definitely a live wire fr- from the one bid Summit League. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida Atlantic has been uh, in the polls out of uh, Conference USA. They just clinched the regular season title last night. And on, on, unless they lose like to the eighth seed in the first round, they might actually get an at-large bid if, if knocked off. Uh, next month. Uh, Charleston, College of Charleston in the Colonial is tied with our friends at Hofstra for the top spot in the CAA. And they lead the nation in wins. Uh, but I don't think they would get a bid uh, if, if you if know, they, they need one. So that's, that's a coin flip and that's going to be one that gets discussed you know, ad infinitum right down to just to, to 630 on Selection Sunday night. So what's interesting to me about this 
is Rick Pitino's public comment the other day. And Rick Pitino is obviously now open for business. And I've said a number of times that, that he should go to another Catholic school because they can officially forgive him for everything that's happened. And he did it at Providence. And, you know, it, it's fine. And he's doing it at Iona. But he said, I don't want to be in a one-bid league. You know, he, they were, what were they, 25-8 and eight last year and didn't win the conference tournament. And they're in a one-bid league. The problem I've got... It's pretty hard with, to argue yeah. with the team that won that league, though, did... Right. It was St. Peter's. St. Peter's. And then they went all the way to the Final Four. So, yeah, so I, I mean, I understand that. But then that, to me, should make it easier to get two teams in. And one of the problems, Joe, is a lot of times in one-bid leagues, they throw you in at the 15 or the 16, and you have the worst draw possible. I mean, I've seen this happen to Vermont a lot. Vermont's been a good team for a long time, and they get the worst draw possible. That's a conundrum. What do you do about that? Well, what the NCAA is probably going to do someday is expand the tournament and give them an even worse draw. <laughs> yeah, <that's great>. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just reading the tea leaves. I'm not saying that's the way to go. Here's what I would do. Not that anyone's ever really asked. Uh, the first thing I would do now and after expansion is if you win your league, if you're the automatic qualifier, you're not in any of these, don't call them play-in games. You go into the main bracket wherever your seed has been earned. You know, one seed, 11 seed, whatever it is. Right. And, and the last bubble teams, the last at-larges, should always be the ones to play in. Because, you know, in any other sport, we call them wild cards. Right? They didn't win their way in they're getting voted in in kind of a you know runner-up capacity now i'm not naive i know the second best team in the big 12 is better than vermont yeah okay sure of course they are but we have leagues and conferences for a reason to kind of organize the sport if you will and i i think the regular season should be honored uh, but again, we said old school, short for old. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I guess I guess I've officially reached curmudgeon status, and I've had so many great mentors, you know, like yourself, to help yeah. me with that. Well, that's curmudgeon is it's it's the new in thing. It's the new fifty, as people say. Thank you very much for being on the show. We'll call you when the tournament starts for your reaction and you know we'll pick some upsets enjoy the new york bagel place enjoy that i will you know he closes like now for a few weeks to give the staff some time off yeah when i get back there in march to watch the tournament they better be open because i'm hungry all right good joe lenardi boys and girls we will take a break we will come back with email and jingle i'm tony kornheiser i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. I've been on radio 
since the Marconi days Been doing TV too In every way that pays What really chafes my shorts <laughs> Gets me all out of sorts Is he don't know me dedicated to Harry Milton, of course. It's a PTI guy on ESPN. Okay. He's on at six each night. A fairly safe time slot. Avoids the head-to-head. With PTI's juggernaut. I've five good minutes for. And then I'll rant some more. Cause he don't know me. Who is Tony? <laughs> Fantastic. That's John Fitzpatrick, who is now living in Arvada uh, in Colorado and says, P.S. Chuck and Roxy, episode 28. We got Fitz magic. Um, it's a wonderful song. You Don't Know Me is a great actual song. And Ari Melber is dead to me. Well, he was never alive to me. I don't, I, like, I don't know Ari Melber. So anyway. You want to do the Bethesda Bagels head? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say you're the kind of person you meet at certain dismal dull affairs. Center of a crowd talking much too loud running up and down the stairs. Well, it seems to me that you have seen too much in too few years. And though you've tried, you just can't hide. Your eyes are edged with tears. You better stop and look around. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here comes your 19th nervous breakdown. That's a great song by the Rolling Stones <laughs> really from 100 years ago. <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Joe Lenardi and Bob Ryan. Thanks to our sponsors, Priceline, Trade Coffee, HelloFresh. What about the other one we read? What about... That's not airing today. Oh, that's not airing today. Okay. Yes. And remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. I, I wanted to share. It finally happened. What? I met the great Zucchini. Oh! I was going to pick up the hammer from preschool, got out of the car, locked eyes with a gentleman who was approaching the school as well, looked familiar to me. I, I, I waited around. <laughs> well, you've loitered, seen him perform. Loitered, if you will. Yes, I saw him perform, but I don't know. He wouldn't recognize me from anywhere. Right. Uh, so I went up to him and introduced myself, and uh, he was so appreciative of uh, our mentioning his performances, and uh, he knew Joe Arrow. Oh, that's fantastic. Really? Yeah. Maybe they'll sing together somewhere. Oh, yeah. They'll do a great. concert. Yeah. Wow. But that's fantastic. What a great did thing. Did he know Rufus? Because I know he gambles. Uh, did not ask if he knows Rufus. <laughs> uh, the hammer has been dealing with the, 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 the last uh, stages of a cold, so I had to wipe his nose a few times. And then <laughs> when I went for the fist bump or the handshake, he, he politely said, I yeah. see you have your hands full. <laughs> yeah. We got this about a month ago, and I never read it. Um, Mr. Greg Lerner, one of your biggest fans, always touts your podcast. He reports that you are very fond of the music group The Rascals. It so happens that my late great mother-in-law, Rachel Rizzo, cooked a memorable spaghetti and meatball dinner for Eddie Brigatti and friends way back when. On a recent Saturday night, I tuned in Cousin Brucie, and as sadly happens all too often lately, I detected a somber tone as he was interviewing someone about Dino. I soon realized it was Gene Cornish, commenting on the death of his friend Dino Dinelli through intermittent sobs. Gene described Dino as a drummer's drummer, schooled by Krupa and Rich, who could play any genre. He learned his signature drumstick twirl from his sister, a cheerleader. It was Dino who brought good love into Felix, and the rest is history. For an astonishingly good live performance, please see Young Rascals Good Lovin' on Ed Sullivan. Wow. I got to see several performances of Felix, Eddie, Gene, and Dino put on a few years ago by Stephen Van Zandt in Once Upon a Dream, and I hope you did too. 
That is from Cliff Skaggs. Isn't that great? Yes, I wanted to read that. From Mike McCarthy, not that Mike McCarthy, (laughs) Chuck and Roxy episode 163. (laughs) I thoroughly enjoyed Liz Clark talking about her day with Dale Earnhardt Jr., starting off with a sun-drop soda and chicken biscuit breakfast. I thought to myself, why is Dale offering a sun-drop instead of a churwine or cheerwine? I thought sun-drop was Tennessee soda because it was a sun-drop bottling plant in Tullahoma, Tennessee, when I lived there in the mid-1980s. I used the Google machine to look up sun-drop only to learn that Charles Leisure developed the citrus-flavored drink in St. Louis in 1928. The beverage was later marketed under several different names, including sun-drop golden cola, Golden Girl Cola, and Golden Sundrop Cola. The beverage became popular in the South with bottling plants in Tennessee and North Carolina. Today, Sundrop is in the Dr. Pepper family of beverages, Information for Life. I have never heard of Sundrop. Nor had I. Uh, Michael, have you ever heard of it? Never heard of it. Never heard of it at all. I knew, I've heard of Cheerwine, though. Cheerwine? Yeah. That's a, a soda? Yeah, it's a dark cola. Okay. Is it like, like Dr. Pepper? Never, never tried it. Okay. Uh, from Jeff Calder in Madison, Wisconsin, who writes Southside High School, 1968. In 1966, your Bulldogs beat us 2-0 in a football game played in a driving rainstorm. We were not the Bulldogs then. You were the Bulldogs now. What would Hewlett used to we're be? We were the Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets. And I don't know why we're not the Blue Jackets anymore, but we haven't been the Blue Jackets for like 40 a years. like Revolutionary War thing? I guess. Well, I don't know. Pretty cool. <clears throat> While a Cortland State student in 1971, my best friend John and I, and his younger brother Bobby, Went to the local Howard Johnson's for Tuesday night all-you-can-eat fried clam night. We lustily consumed who knows how many servings of fried clams and french fries. The only thing green or healthy on our plates were the dots of pickles in the tartar sauce. (laughs) At some point, the manager came to our table, not to inquire as to the quality of our meal, but to announce that we were done eating. (laughs) When we protested, attempting to remind him the meal was advertised as all-you-can-eat, he just nodded slowly and said, you've had all-you-can-eat. He then turned and walked away. Our then-called waitress, now-called server, sheepishly brought our check without asking if we might want dessert. As we walked to the front of the restaurant, other servers and then customers clapped as we left. <laughs> That's really good. From Chuck Cochran in Lewis, Delaware. Long-time listener, first-time emailer. I grew up in a small Iowa town, Mount Vernon. I just received my alumni newsletter, and I discovered that Dan Byrne was inducted into the school's Fine Arts Hall of Fame. Dan is significantly younger than me, so I didn't know him. The attached PDF is the article announcing his selection. Hope Nigel can print it out so you can read it, and I did. Isn't that something? That's fantastic, isn't it? Class of 1977, Dan Byrne. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's just wonderful. So is he a half-waff? He might be a half-waff at this point. (laughs) Joe Ippolito, who can write. Yes, he can. Joe Ippolito. Michael, you'll like this. Are we still doing one in a million coincidences? Because, friends, I've got one that, while it might not top the list, has to be in the discussion. Forgive a bit of backstory, but this event represents a mind-boggling blend of unlikely unfortunate that even today I have trouble understanding. The following is entirely true. In my early 20s, I became problematically entangled with a woman who was, let's just say, otherwise occupied. I'm not proud of this, nor I suppose was she. But young love, what are you going to do? We trod some lines carefully, others we laid waste to with the fury of a mid-grade border incursion. I, being a healthy blend of young, dizzyingly in love, and stupid enough to think this ever had a chance, would occasionally wonder if we someday might actually live together. I was looking for a new apartment at the time, and while searching through the listings, would sporadically fall victim to those flights of fancy. I never told her about this, of course. Things were already complicated enough. But one day I stumbled upon an apartment that was too perfect. 
a good neighborhood, a not insurmountable price tag, the right balance of classic and modern. I never thought it would happen, but it was too good not to show her as a one-time moment of wouldn't it be nice. One afternoon when she asked how my own apartment hunt was going, I responded that while I had come up empty on that front, I did find one that in another world might be the one. When I showed her the listing, her face changed immediately and she grew silent. Her eyes gathered water. I asked what was wrong. Had I gone too far? Should I have kept my adolescent daydreaming to myself? After what seemed like forever, she turned to me and said, that's the first building my husband and I lived in. <laughs> Whoops. Let, rem- let me remind you, I live in New York City. This isn't some cow town. <laughs> we had never spoken even about neighborhoods where we might live. I had never shown her a listing before, but the one I shared somehow happened to be in the same small building in which she'd bought an apartment with her husband. I'll leave it to Noah Petro to calculate the astronomical odds. As I write this, though, it occurs to me there is one other possibility. She might have been lying. Turned out she was the devil. <laughs> How many bathrooms? Joe Ippolito. Just great. From Casey McClendon. Michael, I heard you speak about mouth tape for sleeping and snoring in the past. Was that successful? If so, what brand or product did you use and what method do you recommend? From CJ. I think you have to stay with it. I've done it intermittently over the last year, um, depending on where I am with my allergies. That's probably too much information. But if you just uh, if you go on Amazon, there's a couple different brands, and then you have to decide if you're doing it sort of uh, as an I or as an H. I've done it as the I. Okay. Yeah. I've never had these problems. So and then you get afraid you won't wake up. (laughs) But you always do. Yes. This is a very long email from Melanie Schroeder in Pittsburgh. I meant to send this missive weeks ago after I was certain that the worst food prep mistake of all time was destined to become the new game. But I, supposedly, blessedly, few littles had much to contribute on this topic beyond your abominable salt brownies. (laughs) That potential game ceded way to the newer game what my dog consumed and didn't die from expeditiously. And while I could contribute some gems to that particular discussion, my disgusting salted brownie story is much more delightful. My high school boyfriend graduated one year ahead of me. Though he was brilliant, he eschewed the college path because his dream was to become a rock and roll star. He was an amazing singer and songwriter, and he arranged to move to Boston to hone his talents in a more fertile market than my native Pittsburgh. Sean's sister, Patty, was one of a passel of older siblings, and she happened to have a spare bedroom in Marblehead. Not even kidding. Not Revere. Marblehead. (laughs) Patty's husband was a lawyer, and they had a toddler, so she worked only a few nights a week as a server in an upscale restaurant in Salem, Salem is Massachusetts. Yes, the Salem That's where the trust. witches are from. Yes. With its own gazebo out front, no less. The first time I visited Sean, Patty offered to treat us to a candlelit meal at her restaurant. Of course, we had no reason not to go for it. Since Sean and I were both raised in families in which extravagance was well beyond our means, it was the fanciest restaurant either of us had ever visited, by farther than a Tony Finau putt. The dinner entrees were exquisite and sumptuous. As his customary dessert was offered at the end, we selected a tiramisu to share. Neither of us really knew what this was, only that it was something we've heard of in movies and that it was Italian and therefore inherently enticing. (laughs) Presented with the oversized slice and two spoons, we each took a creamy, delectable-looking corner, clicked spoons in underage cheers, and stared into each other's eyes as we dropped the morsels onto our tongues. Unfortunately, after feigning immediate enjoyment, we could barely swallow the bites before swiping the nearest non-cloth napkin. This, my inimitable orange man, surely did not taste right. As Luddites in this unfamiliar high-class world, we were loath to say anything right off the bat because what the heck did we know? We gamely tried to get down a couple of more bites, gaining more confidence in our palates, second by revolting second. Finally confessing our dislike to Patty, she asked us to describe its nature. We said in unison, it tastes kind of salty. 
Being that Sean was her kid brother, she dove in, then and there, and took a bite, after which she promptly bent at the waist over the apron, nesting her accoutrements of service, nearly heaving. <laughs> Without a word, she snatched the plate and dashed back to the kitchen. It took a good ticket time's worth of 15 minutes for she or anyone else to return to us with the answer to the puzzle. And this, my fellow littles and bigs, is due to the way in which Scooby and the gang had to... Uh, had to a, a good deal of had to do a good deal of investigative work to discern that the new sous chef had soaked the layers of delicate Italian sponge cake not in espresso, but instead in soy sauce. <laughs> right? <laughs> if you're out on your bike tonight, talk about her mommy. Do wear white. But I still need a bit of milk, full, full fat. fat, which I've warmed in the microwave. 